Daniel chapter 8. Amen. Everyone has it. I'll begin here in verse 1. I'm going to read quite a ways through Daniel chapter 8, starting at verse 1, then we'll we'll go back and we'll look at uh we'll look at some of this. So Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. So remember he is First vision there he had during the first year of Belshazzar, that was chapter 7. Now we have Daniel having a second, a second vision that has appeared unto him after the first vision. So verse 2, And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Ulai. Then I lifted up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, and northward, and southward, so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes, and he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Boy, that's something, isn't it? Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great, towards the south, towards the east, and towards the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped, or, yeah, and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression and it cast down the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days 
Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. We'll stop there for just a second. Here's another one of the, that last verse. There's another one that you know people are trying to do all kinds of num plugging numbers into things and finding codes in the Bible. Uh, forget all that. That's not going to do anyone any good. People think they're smart and clever though, and they do. They try to do as convincing of a job as they can. Let's objectively look at what we've studied so far in the chapter in context of what else we've learned so far in Daniel. Aren't you glad that God gives us some things as we, progressively up to this point? That he doesn't just give us this vision in this chapter with nothing to look to previously. And so he's giving us enough already in his word as he's kind of led us up to this point. That God does that on purpose. It's a progressive revelation. He doesn't want somebody getting a hold of something and not have previous references to look at, and then do a mess of trying to figure it out. Plus, at the end of the chapter, you'll learn uh, Gabrielle makes an appearance here to Daniel, and if anybody can explain it, Gabrielle can, amen, because he's the, the messenger of God to do that. But let's look at what we have so far. So in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, remember that was over Babylon, uh, Daniel gets this vision, and in this vision... He sees a ram with two horns. Uh, and so we know what we can tell from this is that he, he's talking about the Medes and the Persians. All right, the two horns there, the ram. Gabriel will, can, will reaffirm that biblical truth there at the end of the chapter. There's some other things that you can look at to figure that out as well. So it says here in verse 3 that uh, Daniel, he lifted up his eyes, he saw Behold, there stood before the river a ram. The ram had two horns. The two horns were high. One was higher than the other. The higher came up last. He saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no beast might stand. That's very similar to how the Medes and Persians came in, invading people, taking them over. They pushed in every direction. Amen. Uh, it says there, none could be delivered out of his hands, and he did according to his will, and he became great. That's exactly what happens with the Medes and the Persians, all right, the Media Persian Empire. Then the second thing he saw here was a goat, and this goat has a strong horn. It says, and I, as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth. So it gives you some direction. The goat came from the west now, um, and so it covers the whole earth, uh, touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. We find out here this reference is very consistent with what we've studied so far. It's Greece. Um, and so you have a couple other things there that reaffirm that, that we see. Uh, without touching the ground, I look at that as kind of a reference to the swiftness. Remember Alexander the Great, and we talked about how fast uh, Greece moved. Um, but also, uh, it says that uh, here in verse 7, And I saw him come close unto the ram. He was moved uh, with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. There was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver uh, the ram out of his hand. Therefore, the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. We know that Alexander the Great, uh, after his passing, look at this, for it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven. So there's, a, there's that four, that number again, uh, definitely points us to... Uh, the Grecian Empire. Then it tells us this here in verse 9, and out of one of them came forth a little horn. 
Now, the little horn of chapter 8, I'm going to submit to you this morning, is not the same little horn as Daniel chapter 7. You'll say, wait a minute, aren't we talking about the same, uh, the kind of the same pattern repeating itself? Uh, yes, we are. What I'm going to get at with this is that um, there is a specific person that fulfills Daniel chapter 8 as the little horn. It happened in, in history, okay? What we're going to see today, and, and God, you'll, you'll find this, does this a lot with prophecy. In some prophecies of the Bible, God does a partial fulfillment to prove a future fulfillment, especially dealing with the Messianic kingdom. Uh, Peter tells us that the, a more sure word of prophecy. What we know is that when there's something in the Bible that's fulfilled in part, it's proof of divine inspiration. So we know that if if the birth of Christ, we know if, if God fulfilled all the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ and being born of a virgin and location, and he fulfilled all these prophecies, we know that that's not, that's not possible just to happen on a chance. We know that that is truly proof of the divine inspiration of the word of God. Right, And so because we know that Jesus was born and he was born of a virgin and he's the son of God and he's God in the flesh and he lived perfect and he lived sinless uh, because he was God in the flesh and he came to be the sacrifice for our sins, we know then that what it says about the second coming of Christ will come true. We can stand on that. God does another thing with prophecy that is very, very, very interesting. He takes one prophecy in a couple places of the Bible and he does a lesser fulfillment of it to prove that there'll be a greater fulfillment of it in the future. What, what I mean by that is he'll fulfill some, he'll fulfill it in full, but it'll be a smaller fulfillment that points to uh, something greater that's going to happen in the future. And I'll give you one reference outside of this one. Uh, I mean, I, I can give you a lot more, but for the sake of time, think of this in, in the Bible, uh, the king of Tyre uh, compared to Satan, right? You have uh, sometimes God will give us a glimpse of the characteristics of somebody in the, else in the Bible as, it's, as those characteristics are fulfilled in another person. For example, the king of Tyre is not Satan, but there were some comparable traits between the two. Here we're going to have a little horn in chapter 8 is going to, to point... Uh, very similar to the characteristics that we find in the Bible about the Antichrist. We're going to see some things here in chapter 8 that have already been fulfilled as a lesser fulfillment, and I'm going to prove it with the words of Jesus himself that there's still yet a future fulfillment yet to come. It's not my opinions, and it's not me trying to impress anybody with knowledge. It's just me carefully looking through objectively at, yeah, it's, it's, some of you may already know this, all right? So this may, you may have studied this before, so I don't know. But if you hadn't, I, I know is, I think this time through, I've paid much closer attention to details than in the past. Um, and the Lord's blessed me through it, but I just wanted to kind of lead into that. And so, uh, so here we have Greece. Uh, now we see this little horn. What happens with this little horn? Uh, it waxed exceeding great towards the south, towards the east, towards the pleasant land. Well, where What would the pleasant land be? Um, Jerusalem. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars uh, to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. 
And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. That's something, isn't it? First of all, casting down the truth, a reference to God's truth, right? God's, uh, God's truth to the ground. And here's the thing. Today, people are casting down God's truth to the ground. They don't want anything to do with it. And some of them, by worldly standards, may even be considering themselves to be prospering. But prospering financially in this world does not mean that you've prospered with what really matters, and that's your eternity. Amen? Uh, I'll take spiritual prosperity over uh, wealth, worldly wealth and prosperity any day of the week. Um, and so, so here we've got this, but, but here he, he casts truth to the ground. Uh, he practices, he prospers. Uh, he's clearly involved in uh, taking away the Jewish sacrifices. Um, clearly does some offensive things to God. Amen? Um, so again, what we're seeing here is a temple desolation, right? At this time of, the, of this prophecy, uh, the Jewish, there's still a temple, all right? Um, and so again, lesser fulfillment, greater fulfillment. God allows for a lesser fulfillment of a prophecy to prove the reality of its greater fulfillment in the future. Why does God do that? Um, well, for the people who will look at the book of Revelation and say, ah, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Oh, really? Well, there's some things that have already happened. That's usually how I go into that when I encounter somebody that's like, that stuff, yeah, you can't, that stuff, man, that's not going to happen, Brother Brian. Oh, really? How do you, do you know anything about the history of Israel and, and go way back? How do you explain this character? I'm about to give you a character um, here. It, how do you explain that and how close that is in similarity to what we, if, that, if God allowed that to happen, what makes you so convinced Revelation? I'm convinced what it says Revelation is going to happen. Amen? Because God's already shown us enough for me to say, man, look at, how, look at this. So let me give you this. So Daniel's little horn prophecy of chapter 8. Daniel receives this around 553 B.C. In 175 B.C., so we're talking about before Christ, but in 175 B.C., that's 375 years later, a King Antiochus, you ever heard that name before? King Antiochus came out of Greece. He would have been a little horn. In fact, some even question the means in which he even came to power in Greece. Because, so it would be the little horn, right, that waxed exceeding great. Um, and so this king began a fierce persecution of the Jewish people. I don't know if you've ever heard of the persecutions under King Antiochus of Greece, um, but one of the things he did once he got into Jerusalem was he outlawed many traditional Jewish practices. And that's something. Well, that sounds very similar to what we've seen here, cutting off the daily sacrifices. But I'm going to give you one that uh, really is something. Um, this king, this is recorded in, in history, sacrificed a, a great pig. Now, you know the, the, the pig with the Jewish system, right? That's not, that was not a clean beast. They weren't to eat the pig. This was long before God had said, had done away and gave him that vision to Peter and everything about everything being uh, 
anointed by prayer and fit to eat. So this king sacrificed a great pig at the image of Moses upon the altar of God in the outward court. Isn't that something? Um, But it doesn't stop there. He sprinkled the blood of that pig upon the priest in the holy scrolls or the books. The Jewish people, they keep scrolls. Uh, He sprinkled it on those books inside the temple. Then he forced the priests and other devout Jewish to eat the flesh. Pretty offensive, right? Um, And then he also entered into the the Holy of Holies. And so um, that uh, that event is recorded by a a Diodorus. And again, I like to stick to Scripture. That's a verifiable history. That's a true thing. And also, it began. It was. It's a major event in in, in the history of Israel's and everything because it began a very famous uh, revolt that's in the history book. Now, listen. Before I even say the name of the revolt, don't you go worrying about your pastor. I don't read that other stuff. There, you know, there's other writings that some like some places. I don't. I forget what it's called, but like they have other books. I believe in the 66 books of the Holy Bible are divinely inspired and for us. I can't deny the fact, though, that you can look at history. There's things in history that we look at. It, it may not be written here, but I'm good. and the reason I'm giving you that disclaimer is because the revolt that happened after this king did that in Jerusalem is called the Maccabean Revolt. And I know that there's some book out there called like the Maccabees or something. We don't, have, we don't look to that as anything authoritative. Amen? We look to the 66 books of the canonized Holy Bible as authoritative in our life. But that revolt really happened, and so there was a big revolt against the king. But we see this as, I would say that counts as a transgression of desolation of what he did in the temple. And so that is a real event in history, and I can tell you this, verified many great theologians and scholars of the Bible place those events as a fulfillment of Daniel's chapter 8, and I find uh, to agree with them on that, okay? So then... uh, I also want to point something out here. This also shows us a representation of a greater fulfillment that will come to pass in the Antichrist. And we're going to look at that in the, in the Bible and compare those in, with Scripture. Uh, but unlike this king, we know that the Bible does not give us where the Antichrist, there is a person of the Antichrist, right? We, we can't say he's coming out of Greece, right? Um, we know that this person comes out of Greece, and that's how you can see God himself Differentiate, differentiating between the two. Um, and so uh, here's some other things to keep in mind. The Bible tells us, one, the spirit of Antichrist already does work around us, right? That's anything that pulls people away from Christ. And then it also tells us many Antichrists have already come. That's people pulling us away from the Antichrist. But then we also know of, an, of a capital A, of a, a one world ruler type of Antichrist character that we see at the end times, dealing in the tribulation period. Um, so, similarities here. This, this king, he came to power in the latter time of the kingdom of Greece. Of Greece. Um, and so, I think that's important because um, that seems to fulfill exactly the timeline of, of, of the, that is spoken of here in Daniel chapter 8. Uh, one of them, out of, out of verse 9, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great towards the south, towards the east, towards the pleasant land. And it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and stars to the ground and stamped upon them. 
Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. By him the daily sacrifice was taken away. The place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to, to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be, be cleansed. Um, couple other facts about uh, this uh, the uh, King Antiochus real quick before we move on from him. Uh, one of the ways he, he got people into affiliation with him was he tricked them through peace treaties and uh, like he lied to them, he deceived them, he got people into alliances with them, and then he used military uh, power to force them into subjection uh, to certain things. But you know what? We found in history that guy was dealt with by the Lord. And just as that king was dealt with by the Lord, so will a future Antichrist be dealt with by the Lord. All right. Um, so that's pretty much all I got on him there. But let's go back and look at a couple things, starting at verse 15. And it came to pass, this is Gabriel, this is Gabriel's appearance to Daniel. And it came to pass when I, even Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and, and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Right? So God is now telling his host, he wants Gabriel, that's his, that's, that's his angel there, to bring this understanding to the vision. So he and I believe Gabriel also appeared. Who else did he appear to as we're celebrating the Christmas season, right? Did he not appear to uh, to Elizabeth and to the Virgin Mary? Both, amen. So he has a specific function of bringing understanding to people concerning things about uh, what is to come in the future, right? So that uh, that is his purpose. There, it's one of his purposes in as a servant to God, as an angel. Um, so anyway, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face towards the ground, but he touched me and set me upright." And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce continents and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. 
And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper. That's why policies matter, amen? Cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. Well, that is a capital P. Do you believe that the prince of princes would be a reference to Jesus Christ? I believe that. But we know that this is before uh, Jesus has been born. And we also know that this Grecian empire has risen and fallen, including its king of fierce continents that came at the end of that kingdom, who did such desecration there in the temple of, uh, with the Jewish people. And yet, that was all before the dispensation of grace was even brought in. So that is what I was submitting to you. We see a lesser fulfillment. Why did God give us that? So that we understand there's going to be a greater fulfillment of this in the future. And now Gabrielle is shit. He's explaining in terms of what's happened or what will happen. But he's also giving us insight of some things that we can plug into Revelation and some things that Jesus taught as well. And understand that there's some amazing stuff that's going to happen in the future. And when you plug that into what we understand about the church age, it should just make you all the more grateful that we've been promised to be raptured. Amen? And so as we, the more I understand about the prophecies which are for Israel, the more I appreciate the mystery of the body of Christ, the fact that we're going to be raptured out as all this before all this comes to fulfillment. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And it would be my desire that more Jewish people would study this and plug it into the context of Jesus Christ and get saved. And, you know, because why would anyone want to be in the tribulation period? But uh, where did I leave off? <laughs> uh, we'll go back to 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. You see that? Boy, he took out a lot of kings in his time, but when he stood up against Jesus, he didn't stand a chance. Amen? God allowed him to take down some people, but he can't take down the Lord of Lords. Verse 26, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterwards I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Now I also... Uh, grab this verse 27 and, and think about this. You know, there's people that teach that if you get sick, it's because of sin or something, blah, blah, blah. You ever heard that kind of stuff? Daniel got sick and it had nothing to do with sin. The very knowledge of a deeper understanding of God's word and the knowing of God's judgment actually made him sick certain days. Lord, I think that we should be uh, I'm trying to find the words to express this thought that I just had got. We've been given knowledge of the gospel and what will happen to those who reject Christ. 
The idea of people dying and going to hell ought to make us sick. Sick enough to desire God's strength in fighting through all of the things that we, the flesh, uh, cares, concerns, busy schedules. We need to tell people about Jesus. Because the fate is enough. I, I really do believe if, if we had just a 15 second glimpse of the fate of somebody that died and went to hell, I, I, I really think we would, we would be much more self-included, much more faithful in telling people about Jesus. Amen. Uh, so here we have Daniel who is even sickened uh, by this. But let me give you this. Verse 19, we'll give you a few more. We've got a few minutes here. In verse 19, this brought me some joy. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. You know what makes me glad about that? It should be a comfort to us that God promises even the most calamitous times will come to an end. Even the worst of times come to pass. Amen. We're looking at a glimpse of what is and what will be the worst of times in world history. Now we, as the believers in Jesus Christ, will be with Jesus. But even those times, God promises, there'll be an end to that indignation. A couple other things that stood out to me that I'll share with you. It says here in verse 23, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full... That's a that's an interesting statement. I think about a couple other areas in the Bible that it talks about something being made full, right? Uh, first of all, there had to be a fullness of transgressions on earth for uh, people to be turned over to the rule of an antichrist. That's one, all right? Um, but uh, a couple very specific references... Uh, Romans eleven twenty five. Here we can turn there. We got a few minutes. Romans eleven twenty five. Here we find. Uh, the reference fullness of the Gentiles in eleven twenty five. Paul writes. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Um, let me give you another one. Uh, Ephesians, you probably, this may already be kind of going off the tip of your tongue, but in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul reveals here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Um, Then we have another one. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians for one second. Second Thessalonians here in chapter 2. I'm 
I'll just start in verse one. Uh, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, Paul's addressing um, strictly the fact that Jesus is coming and that we'll be gathered with him. Aren't Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. We're, you know, we know it's coming. We're not to be troubled at that. We should embrace the fact that God has a plan of the, the our finalized redemption. I mean, we've already been redeemed, but then we're still awaiting that future uh, redemption of the body, right? And so, uh, but that day is at hand. The day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, that sounds very familiar to what they described here in Daniel chapter eight, but it's not the same person. You see that? Um, let me give you this. Back to Daniel chapter eight. I'll give you a few more things. Look at verse 24. Back in Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 24. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice and destroy the mighty and the holy people. Not by his own power. Think about that. Hold your spot there. Now we'll make a trip over to Revelation for a second. Look at Revelation chapter 13. I'll give you a second to get there. We're almost we're almost done here too. So I'll finish on time, don't worry. But we're going to read through a few verses here. Revelation chapter 13, everyone got that? Hey Amen. Now look at this. Now, of course, this is John at Patmos receiving a vision, right? Um, and look at verse thir- or look at verse one in chapter thirteen, and he writes, "And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the the name of blasphemy." And the beach, the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Brother, that's what I was referring to when we were talking about that the other day. Uh, and that's really the best I can come up with on that question too. So I hope it suffices, but, uh, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power into the beast. Now the dragon is a ref is in the Bible a reference to who Satan. That's right. Mm. people worshiping Satan. Doesn't that break your heart? And yet, it's becoming mainstream today. 
In fact, there's a big issue going on in Iowa right now. You heard about that? They've got a satanic temple inside. Of, is it at the state building? And the law won't allow it to be taken down. And a guy got mad and he went in there and he destroyed it. That would be a, a righteous indignation. He went in there and turned over some tables. What'd they do? Find them, put them in jail. Hmm. That's a pretty conservative state too. But it just shows you how diligent we need to be with our laws and policies. Because if we leave a leave any any opportunity open, Satan's going to jump right on in there. There are school systems that demand the right for students to practice Satan worshiping clubs in their schools. Really is happening. I'm not making this up. The practice of Satanism is becoming protected under the law. What about the persecution of Christianity? Amen? Because we're losing protections, they're gaining protections. You can see what direction this world's heading in. We're waiting for Jesus to come and take us home. Amen? That stuff, I'm telling you, I, I, I never thought I'd see a day when Satanism would be mainstream and people would be proud of it. But you know what? You don't have to read a Satanic Bible and pray to a Satan to be practicing Satanism. Just live without Christ and you'll serve the devil whether you know you're doing it or not. Amen? So they're just putting a public expression to it. I'm about to get sidetracked. Let me keep going. Uh... So they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months. By the way, that's three and a half years. Um, the, under, the, under the law of, of consecrating things uh, appointed to God's service, a temple would be a seven-year process. And so we know that during this time, they have a new temple built in Jerusalem. That's why there's so much focus on that third temple thing because the one was, the last one was taken down in 70 AD. So here's an antichrist, it, what theologians, what the scholars say, I kind of agree with them on this, that this antichrist begins the sacrificial system again in that temple, but cuts it off short before they've completed the process of consecrating the temple over to the service of God, making it a desecration and a desolation and a violation of the sacrificial system, something similar to what we've already seen. Uh, so anyway, he, the, here's this Antichrist. We see him, continues tw uh, 40 and, and two months, opens up his mouth and blasphemy against God to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Uh, and it was given to him to make war with the saints, uh, you go down through ten, through verse 10 there, and you find that is the Antichrist. That is a future person, but very similar to the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. Now, let me give you one more. One more, and we'll close out. Go to Matthew, if you will, chapter 24. Of course, the disciples wanted to know the signs of the end as they were asking Jesus about this and of course we know that jesus had revealed to them that the day and hour knoweth no man but his father in heaven but he gave them some things to look towards and jesus did that on purpose and i believe that was for 
all of us to know and to study and, and to and to and to read. Amen. And so we'll we'll close out here on this. You're in Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 15. Uh, they were asking about the end and, and when he would come back. Jesus said this, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Well, if the first fulfillment, the lesser fulfillment in King Antiochus took place before Jesus was born, and Jesus is teaching that there's yet a future fulfillment from his time of a day when an abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of will happen. He's referring to an antichrist. He's referring to a future fulfillment. Amen. And so what do we hold on to that? Uh, just two takeaways as we close out in prayer. Just as Antiochus was defeated, so will the antichrist be. And anytime we'd see portions of prophecy fulfilled, let it reassure our hearts. The whole Bible will be fulfilled. And everything that needs to happen for Christ to come back has been. And as soon as He does, we'll see the remaining prophecies concerning Israel's tribulation and all that come to pass. But we'll, we'll have a view of that from heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for the lesson today. And uh, just increasing our knowledge of Your Word. And, uh, and I hope it was an edifying lesson God and it's always good to uh to look at your scriptures to learn about past events prophecies that are fulfilled Lord and um Lord it, the the anticipation of the return of Christ the day star arising in our hearts Lord we know it's coming soon we can see the events happening around us we know that's why you gave us these scriptures to study and to know um so that we can see and discern the path that the world is on to keep us on the right path as witnesses for you that we would have the urgency in our beings to want to tell everyone about the truth of the gospel before it's too late. And we know many will throw the truth down. Many want the world and its prosperity and not you. But we don't know when and where we'll come across one that will accept you as Savior. And so our job is not to worry about who will and who won't, but just be faithful in sharing the word that you would save as many uh, as that would come to you before it's everlasting too late. God, we thank you for the Sunday school lesson. I ask that you bless our worship, our cookie exchange, and everything that we're doing in your house today. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity and privilege to be here. Thank you for your goodness towards us. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Most of all, thank you for the deliverance that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.